abiding in joyful gratitude. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of the Sixth Sunday of Easter, May 9th, 2021 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. In this age of anxiety, Rev. David Pelegi says the church worries too much about end-time prophecy and the latest heresy or apostasy. There is an unhealthy focus on wickedness and evil. The scriptures remind us that God is the faithful king of all the world and that his goal is reconciling the nations back to himself. Our response to God's faithfulness and love should be joyful gratitude and obedience. Before we begin, are you ready to get out of the house? Ready for a trip? Join David Pelegi in Poland August 9th through 20th, 2021. Take a deep dive into 1,000 years of Jewish history. We'll start in Warsaw and work our way to Krakow. We will visit medieval cities, castles, and churches to better understand the historical context of the Polish Jewish experience. We'll also touch on the Hebrew Christian communities that existed before World War II. Land cost is less than $2,000. Visit narrowbridgetour.com for more information. Narrowbridgetour.com Now, on to the lectionary readings. Our first reading is from the Book of Acts, Chapter 10 verses 44 to 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongue and, and, speaking, and praising and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from Psalm 98, the whole chapter. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things with his right hand and his holy arm. And his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for reading of the Holy Gospel. Maybe safer to read it in the big print version here. This is from John chapter 15, 
starting in verse 9, going to verse 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in that love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the father would give you. This is my command, love one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. I'd like to um, try something a little different this evening. Uh, this morning, uh, someone said, you know, you preached a wonderful sermon, all 28 points. So I think uh, to better perhaps explain what we're going to do. We're going to follow an ancient custom in which the um, passages of the liturgy, yes, are considered as a whole. And uh, very often a liturgy, Jewish liturgy, a Christian liturgy, uh, or sorry, the passages of the lectionary uh, are um, thematic, and uh, they can be understood as a whole. And so consequently, I'd like to just consider our three passages of Scripture and ask ourselves, yes, how do, they, how do these three passages speak to us today? Yes, what message do they have? And while they may seem to be somewhat different, I believe that um, they overlap and that there is an important theme. Let's begin with um, just a few words of uh, introduction. And um, think that um, from listening to people uh, believers and uh, secular people or people who are not believers uh, in the last few years I certainly believe that um, we live in an age of anxiety and we live in an age of worry uh, and especially I've noticed amongst uh, believers uh, maybe from western countries more than other places uh, that there's a great deal of insecurity about our future, what's going to happen to us and to our societies as 
uh, our culture moves further and further away from God. Why is this happening? Why hasn't God somehow uh, stepped in to, uh, and uh, brought intervention? And of course, at the same time, we not only have this despair, but we have a focus on what is negative. And that negative includes uh, giving too much attention to uh, prophecy, to Bible prophecy, worrying about the Antichrist and the latest heresy and the latest apostasy and the latest uh, wave of uh, immorality and uh, confusion that we find in society. And oftentimes there's this, this focus, yes, on what is unhealthy. And there's a focus on wickedness. There's a focus on evil. And again, there's an anxiety that goes with it. And I don't want to minimize the wickedness of our culture. But at the same time, I think that if we have that insecurity and if we are confused and afraid that um, this is not a godly perspective. And I think Psalm 98 hopefully will help us Psalm 98 is uh, one of a number of songs, psalms that um, celebrate uh, the enthronement of God. Yes, that celebrate God's kingship. And it begins by saying, sing to the Lord a new song. And that's not quite sure what it means. Sing to the Lord a new song could mean sing to the Lord a song with enthusiasm, sing to the Lord a song that uh, is spontaneous, or I have a feeling that it's singing a golden oldie. Yeah, one of those classic songs we all know and love. But it's being sung in a new place by a different group of people, as we'll, see in a minute, as we'll see in a minute. Sing to the Lord a new song before he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm, that's language that should make us think of, the, of Exodus and the deliverance from Egypt, has worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. How has he done this? Here's the key. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Yeah, very simple um, you might say, reality that begins in Genesis and works its way all the way through uh, Revelation. God is done, or God is doing marvelous things. And where do we see uh, these marvelous things being done? 
Where do we see God's salvation? We see it in the way that he has dealt with the people of Israel. And the nations of the world somehow can or should see the way that God has brought the people of Israel out of Egypt or how God delivered uh, them from Assyria, how they returned from Babylon. Yes, and it's by observing God's chesed or his faithfulness, his steadfast love, his mercy, that we know something about, we know something about the character of God. And what's, I think, maybe a couple of things that are important here. And the first and foremost being that God is faithful and that not only is he faithful to Israel, his ultimate goal is not simply to bless Israel. His ultimate goal in choosing Israel was so that God could reach the nations, so that God could reach Yes, all the people groups of the world. Not people as individuals. We being Westerners and most of us Protestants think in terms of individuals. God wanted to reach all the families, all the clans of the earth. And I have to be very careful here because on one hand, it's very true. It's it's important that God chose Israel and the Jewish people, and he showed his love towards them. And he didn't choose them for a utilitarian purpose, meaning I think I'll befriend these people over here, and uh, then I'll get them to do me some favors. No, I'll get them to, to, to do some errands for me. No, the scripture makes it clear that God set his love upon the Jewish people, Yes, God took the initiative. And then in one sense, there were no strings attached. I have to also be very careful. But on the other hand, God had expectations and expected a response. And when God chose Abraham, he chose Abraham not only because he loved Abraham and wanted to bless him, but he wanted Abraham to be a blessing as to all the nations of the world. That the election of Israel, in large part, is for our sake and for the sake of the nations. And this has been God's goal from the beginning. And God has wanted to reconcile himself to to the nations of the world, to the peoples of the world, to the language groups of the world. And he's in the process of doing that as we speak. And... We can, by the way, get tripped up uh, with this. I think uh, first and foremost, if we start uh, reliving that old fight that uh, the Jewish people over the years, yes, who's chosen? No, you're not chosen anymore. It's us. We're the chosen ones. I don't think that we should even go there. Uh, And secondly... Sometimes our understanding of uh, God's um, dealings with, with the Jewish people can be enhanced or even 
muddled, yes, by understanding that the, you know, that when we talk about the Jewish people, we're talking only about the state of Israel. There can be some complications there. But I think what's really important for us to, to come to terms with, that ultimately the way that God deals with us, the church, with the disciples of Jesus, is actually the same way that he dealt with the people, or still deals with the people of Israel. It's the same model, it's the same template. But God's goal in all of this is to reach the nations. Let me just read you from Psalm 22, because uh, it's all through the scripture. And you know, it's very interesting, uh, the way that Christians have used the Old Test, so-called Old Testament over the years, is as follows. It's sort of a messianic checklist. We um, want to show where, you know, somehow Jesus is the Messiah, and so we tick the boxes. Jesus fulfilled this, Jesus fulfilled that, Jesus fulfilled this other scripture, therefore he's the Messiah. But what we don't often take from the Hebrew Bible, yes, is God's great love for the human family. And again, it's his intention, his intention to be reconciled, yes, to all the peoples of the world, to have them come into a place of faith and obedience, which ultimately, ultimately leads to worship, yes, throughout the scripture. So here we have Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, um, and many other places, but this is just a good example. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For the dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Yes, that's God's goal. That rebellious, the rebellious human family, yes, will return to him and worship. Now, it's um, very, at Easter, we read, the, we read this passage. Maybe some of you can, will remember. It was a Jesus appearing to his disciples in the upper room. Yes, in the book of Luke, in the, um, in the book of uh, Luke, yes. And here's what Jesus says. He says, this is what is written. The Messiah, the Messiah of Israel, right? This is put in Jewish terms, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. To all nations. That's the goal, right? The goal is the nations. And, um, you know, uh, I should have actually read a few verses before. He said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And we say, yes. That's telling us that the focus, right, of the scripture is on Jesus himself and on the Messiah. And that's what we understand as Christians. But then we leave off this, dare I use the word here in Jerusalem, this mission to the nations, 
right? That that also, Jesus says, that's also revealed to us in Scripture, right? That's God's heart. That's God's intent. Now, what is the response to all of this? Here's God's initiative. First, it's God's initiative to Israel, his steadfast love, his mercy, his kindness, his faithfulness. All of that is summed up uh, or can be found in that uh, beautiful Hebrew word, chesed. What response do we have? And uh, Psalm 98 tells us. It's not a response of insecurity. It's not the focus on when the Antichrist will come and the great falling away will happen and when the world government might show up or might not show up. Or it isn't a fear about what happens if, you know, uh, we're arrested for preaching the gospel. Yes, it's a very beautiful, beautiful response. And so the response is thus as follows. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, and with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Right? The response is one of joy. It's actually one of gratitude. Surely it should be one of gratitude, because we as Gentiles right, have been grafted in or brought in uh, through the Jewish Messiah. And what's the best, what is probably the most powerful way of showing gratitude? It's more than just saying thank you, thank you, thank you. But to show gratitude to someone is actually to be joyful. And the way that we focus on the character of God and focus our attention on what God is doing in this world and not on the practicing evil or the, you know, the successes of the devil. Yes, is found in joyful worship. God's initiative is to, as he's God's at the moment, reconciling himself to the nations. Yes, some people are abandoning the faith in Western countries and becoming cold and uh, losing, um, unfortunately, uh, losing their Christian foundations. But many hundreds of thousands, millions of others, yes, are indeed coming to faith. And God's kingdom is expanding and growing. And our response should be, is the glass half full or is it half empty? Our response should be that the glass is half full. And uh, this demands from us worship. And by the way, I should add here, I think it's really important that worship, joyful worship, is not entertainment I think sometimes we think that we're worshiping for our own well-being. We're worshiping because it makes us feel good. We feel ecstatic or we're, we're losing, you know, our burdens, whatever it may be. We worship for God's sake, right? 
Worship should be God-focused. It's not something that uh, we, um, we're not focusing on ourselves. Yes, it's God-centered. And when I hear the f- people say, well, I don't like that church because, you know, that their worship doesn't work for me, I'm a little suspicious. Yes. What are we there for? What are we here for? Are we focusing on God? Or are we worshiping in order for, in order for, for us to get something out of it? So, Psalm 98, God takes the initiative. He uses the people of Israel to bring us blessing. And our response should be, yes, joyful worship. But you know, um, there's also a second reading. And the second reading was about the giving of the Holy Spirit. And the response there is interesting. That's from the that's taken from the book of Acts. This is Peter who goes to speak to to down to the house of Cornelius. While he's at the house of Cornelius, he's preaching a sermon, and God says, Enough. The sermon's gone on long enough, and the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles. And um, What was the response to this? Very interesting. The response to God's initiative was at first quite critical, as it can often be when God moves in a new way, or God does something different, or something happens outside the box or outside our denomination. Then we have thousands of people now on the internet who pick, you know, who pick this movement of the spirit apart and find uh, every possible criticism yes, of God's work. So Peter, after um, baptizing the household of Cornelius, and they received the Holy Spirit before baptism, uh, he went back to Jerusalem. And uh, when he went to Jerusalem, what happened? He got criticized He got criticized. Only after a long explanation did people drop their objections. This is in chapter 11, in verse 19. They praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, I think what's important about all of this is we think, oh, the Holy Spirit. God has poured out his Spirit. That spirit, what is that spirit for? And we think almost always in terms, oh, it's for my self-edification. It's for me to make me strong. Or, you know, it's to uh, bring me security. Or it's to bring me love, peace, and joy, which there's a certain truth to that. But the pouring out of the spirit, yes, God taking initiative here, God moving, yes, and bringing reconciliation to the Gentiles, certainly in the book of Acts, brings trouble. It brings persecution, and it brings misunderstanding. 
And so in chapter 13, when Paul is explaining these things, yes, in a Jewish context, here's what happens. Um, Trouble is stirred up against Paul and his companions. Yes. Um, Persecution begins against Paul and Barnabas. They were expelled from the region. They shook off the dust of their feet as a warning, and they went to Iconium. But here's what it says. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, you don't usually associate joy with the Holy Spirit. But that's exactly what happens here. That in the midst of persecution, well, first of all, in the midst of God's initiative, because many people in chapter 13 hear the word of the Lord and believe, and it's through the rejection uh, at that synagogue that uh, Paul and Barnabas know that they need to focus more on uh, on uh, ministering to Gentiles, although they never, ever stop bringing the gospel, first and foremost, to the Jewish people, even after that event. And so there's, with the persecution comes joy and a fullness of the Holy Spirit. Yes, why was that Holy Spirit given? Holy Spirit is given primarily not for our self-edification, Right? But it's given in order to empower us, yes, to do God's work, which is what? The mission of God is to bring the message, yes, of Jesus to the nations in order that the nations, yes, may serve and worship him. Now, many times argue with or I hear discussions with Jewish people and, you know, is Jesus the Messiah? And there's, you know, arguments and discussions, you know, over verses, you know, especially in Isaiah, such as Isaiah 53. But, you know, one thing that strikes me is very powerful, powerful evidence in which there is, I can't be a lot of argument or certainly not a lot of pushback, um, is from Isaiah 45. And in Isaiah 45, it talks about uh, this messianic figure, you know, as being a light to the nations. And that gets quoted, by the way, in Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 13, where uh, Paul, speaking uh, to his co-religionists, he says, um, you know, we're going to now start uh, bringing this message of eternal life to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us, talking about Paul and his message. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Yes, that's the Holy Spirit. And and doing God's work, being filled with the Spirit, might just bring us trouble. And might bring us persecution. And might even bring us martyrdom. But here, these early disciples, they respond with joy. Yes, just as we read in Psalm 98. 
And what's so essential about joy is not simply that we're happy in the face of trouble. Yes, so we can walk on the sunny side of the street and remain optimistic even though life isn't going so well for us. What's really important is that joy in and of itself enables us, yes, to stay loyal and to persevere. Yes, because if we have a cause, yes, or we're committed to a community, or if we, um, you know, have a theology of one kind or another, there is no joy in that, you know. Our um, loyalty, our ability to um, persevere certainly will be weak. And so in numerous places in the New Testament, um, the the early disciples respond with joy. In Acts chapter 5, when Peter is arrested by the high priest and there's persecution at the hands of the Sadducees, uh, at the end of the chapter, the believers say, you know, they, they are full of joy because they were considered worthy to suffer, yes, uh, for Jesus the Messiah. So joy isn't quite the response that we think of when we get into trouble or when we're persecuted or when we're misunderstood. But in all of these cases that we read, certainly God was uh, behind these events. And God was, you know, working out his purposes uh, through this persecution. And finally, we have a gospel passage. And the gospel passage is also, I think, um, well, I don't think, but it continues the theme. And uh, last week, Neville spoke about the the, uh, abiding in the vine. And so I don't think that's something that I will uh, focus on. But just for a few minutes, I would like to um, just mention, uh, mention the following. Here we have God's initiative. Uh, And God takes the initiative in sending Jesus, right? God loves the world, so therefore he sends the Son. The Son loves his disciples. And the question is, how do we respond to that initiative? Yes. What's our response to the divine initiative? And you might say, oh, well, let's be joyful. But here, at least in this case, joy is not something we seek after. Joy is a byproduct of something else. Joy is the fruit of something uh, even bigger. It's a little bit like uh, trying to seek humility. Yes, humility comes out of a proper relationship with God. It should be a natural result of uh, understanding who we are and understanding who God is. But seeking humility in and of itself, I think, will always end in failure. And here, seeking joy in and of itself 
wanting to be joyful. Yes. So, our passage in John begins, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And now he says, here's my command, remain in my love, so I have loved you. If you keep my commands, you will remain in this love. And if we remain, remaining in this love, um, what it means is that uh, the joy that Jesus has will be in us, and that our joy may be made complete. And so how does that, how does that happen or how is that possible? Again, sometimes we want joy without strings attached. Or we put a cart before the horse. And basically, John's message is very simple. It's, if we remain in communion with Jesus and the, and the Father's love or we, we can, or we do remain in communion with Jesus. Yes, it's through loving obedience, right? It's keeping his commandments. And First John tells us, yes, these commandments are not burdensome. Now, why is this passage important? Yeah. Why is it, why do we need to focus on this? Because very often in our Christian experience, the presentation or the face that we present to the world is oftentimes a face of misery. It's oftentimes we're cranky. Uh, We act as if we're struggling, yes, or suffering under the burdens of of, uh, being righteous or following Jesus, that it isn't uh, somehow very easy. Uh, And uh, therefore, we can more often than not, and in many places, come across not simply as uh, critical, not simply as insecure or confused, as I mentioned before, unsure of who God is and his greatness and his ultimate victory in this world. We come across, yes, as, um, as people who are most miserable, And we are basically saying to people, hey, we're miserable, come and join us. Misery loves company. And it's not by accident, totally by accident, that uh, Christians, evangelical Christians, conservative Christians, are characterized in this way in movies and on TV shows and in books, et cetera, et cetera. Because where there's smoke, there is fire, right? There is this, I'm miserable and I'm suffering for, Je- for Jesus. Abundant life, I don't know anything about that. And here we're not talking about the prosperity gospel. Or having everything go easy for us. Having every prayer answered. Never having a need that sometimes is uh, that's presented as the abundant life, and that's a false alternative. Abundant life or eternal life is this communion that we can have with Jesus and the Father, and to experience their love. 
Yes, but the way that we experience that love, the way that we stay in the relationship, not how we get into the relationship, the way that we stay into the stay in this relationship, continue in the relationship, abide, right, is by keeping his commandments. Yes, by trusting him and being obedient. And First John says his commandments are not burdensome. And that's where joy comes from. Yes, the joy that Jesus has, yes, becomes our joy. But it demands a response, right? God has taken the initiative. It's surely a matter of grace. Yes, we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But if we want to maintain it, it requires a response. It requires, yes, requires us to keep those commandments, yes, to live as Jesus did. And surely the Holy Spirit is there to help us to do this, to do such a thing. This is certainly not only for our witness, but for our own, you might say, spiritual well-being. And so I guess the challenge is, you know, do we accept the invitation? Yes. And I think the invitation from Psalm 98, can we see God aright? Can we see God, yes, in a way in which God is somehow isn't being defeated by the devil or uh, isn't going to be pushed out of the world by the Antichrist or that history isn't just one bad thing after another that happens to the human family. But despite the evil in the world, right, that God is indeed at work. First, through his people Israel, yes, and continually, I believe, I can, he continues to work uh, through the people of Israel, through the, uh, the Jewish people. But now he's also at work in the church. Yes, and more and more nations are bowing down in front of him. Or can we endure hardship and difficulty with joy? Certainly that invites us to rethink our definition of joy. Joy isn't just happiness or joy isn't just some form of self-fulfillment. But that uh, doing God's work and doing God's mission, you might say, you know, will lead to trouble or misunderstanding. But yet at the same time, the Holy Spirit can indeed and will give us joy. And we don't have to be doing some mission from God. We can be living life. And uh, enough garbage will happen to us. But still the challenge is can we live joyfully in the midst of those things? And finally, yeah, are we willing to share the joy that Jesus has for us, share his joy through a loving, through a loving and trusting obedience? Yes. Something more than just believing, yes, 
that's relying upon him and abiding in him, trusting in him and being obedient to him. And in that process, yes, the, bl- the blessing that we get is joy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are a people who are many times afraid or we're confused or we're insecure about our future. And Father, we need to be full of joy. We need to express our gratitude joy, with joy for all the things that you are doing and will do in our lives. And we especially pray that you will help each one of us, Lord, come into a deeper relationship with your Son, Jesus. We ask that those things that get in the way, that keep us from abiding, we pray that you will expose those things and remove them from our lives. Not simply from our lives as individuals, but from our lives as a family, from our lives as a community. And Lord, we ask that you'll even be at work amongst our nation, our people, yes, our ethnic group, our language group, and that uh, more and more of us will indeed be reconciled to you and brought into obedience, the obedience that comes from faith, so that uh, we may bow down before you and that your purposes on this world may be fulfilled. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.